So I don't know if anyone here um, read the monthly essay that um, Jim Chalmers, the treasurer, penned um, last month, I think it was, but I thought I'd start the talk with a, with a quote from this fairly pseudo-philosophical essay, um, which is called Capitalism After the Crises. Um, and it's from an uh, ancient Greek philosopher called Heraclitus. Um, no man ever, ste ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Um, so apparently Jim Chalmers was sent this quote in a text from a journalist, which is sort of difficult to believe, but I guess, I guess it happened. Um, and he wasn't talking about the, the fact that many rivers in Australia will probably never be the same again after being drained or poisoned by mining companies and agricultural companies. Um, and to be honest, it's not entirely clear what he was referring to with this quite random quote at the beginning of the essay. But um, my reading is that um, every Labor government um, has faced crises, um, but each one is a bit different um, and therefore requires different solutions. Um, so quite profound. Um, so Chalmers uh, talked up in particular Kevin Rudd's response to the 2008 uh, global financial crisis um, and in Rudd's own monthly essay back in 2008 he said, not for the first time in history the international challenge for social democrats is to save capitalism for, from itself, which I think about sums up the role that the modern Labor Party has played in Australian capitalism as, as Jean went over very well yesterday in her discussion of Labor. Um, so Chalmers lists the interlocking mega-threats, as he calls them, that we face. Um, crises on a scale not seen for a generation, a new Cold War, inflation, the rise of the far right, technology replacing jobs, and of course, climate change. Um, but the solutions that he offers uh, for all of these are unbelievably dismal um, and inadequate and, and vague, as well as being quite boring. Um, so he proposes things like strengthening institutions like the Reserve Bank and the Productivity Commission and to measure what matters by adding well-being um, into the budget. And he suggests that um, with the guidance of the Albanese government and, and the right metrics, um, that Australian capitalists will begin to make investments based on values, not value. Um, and they'll start to invest for the needs of, for social and, and climate-based needs rather than profits. Um, which already sounds like um, wishful thinking. And I think the, the deeply underwhelming vision of this article, uh, which is essentially capital, capitalism with a friendly face and a kind of kumbaya approach to Australian business, pretty much sums up the government's approach to what is really the existential threat of climate change. Um, there's no denying that the Albanese government was brought to power largely on the back of a, of a climate vote. Um, one of his main slogans in the lead up was that he would end the climate wars. And I think a lot of people took that to mean that they would begin the work of ending climate change or at least confronting climate change. Um, but actually what it's meant is that, um, you know, the Albanese government would do everything it could to end the climate movement by making it look like he was doing something about climate. And unfortunately, I, I think he has had some success in this, which I'll, I'll go back to. Um, so their first move in September last year was to introduce an incredibly low bar for action, um, a 43% emissions reduction target by 2030. This was lower even than what the Australian Business Council was calling for, certainly lower than what the Greens and others were, were calling, calling for, um, and is also made up of um, 
emissions reductions that had already been met since 2005. So you can shave about 20% off that, and that's with um, that's also including very dodgy accounting in terms of how they measure how much carbon has actually um, been released or not. Um, so then after that, um, they set about designing the policy that would move us towards this incredibly low bar, um, bravely treading where Liberal governments have tread before um, for the last few years, in fact. Um, so their flagship policy on climate is really just a revamped version of Tony Abbott's safeguard mechanism. The same mechanism that has done precisely nothing as it was really intended to, to reduce emissions since it was introduced in 2016. And actually since then, um, industrial emissions have, have gone up, um, particularly uh, with the opening of a, of a bunch of new uh, pollu polluting projects, including um, several big emitting LNG plant, plants. Um, and I, I think that the safeguard is, in a way, intended to be incredibly confusing. Um, and it really is just a whole lot of um, smoke and, and mirrors. Um, um, well, whether it's intended to be <laughs> bamboozling or whether that's just a product of, um, you know, neoliberal policy trying to find ways of doing very little at all, I think this is what we've ended up with. Um, and I think. Climate scientist Bill Hare was right when he called it state-sanctioned greenwashing. Um, so I'll, get, I'll try to give a, a quick-fire explanation of, of how it works. So it covers um, 215 sites that emit um, over 100,000 tonnes of carbon every year. Together, they produce about 28% of Australia's emissions. Um, most of these are fossil fuel operations, and the rest include things like steelworks, um, smelters, cement producers, transport, and, and so on. Um, each facility, um, polluting facility, is given an emissions limit, um, known as a, as a baseline, and that's based mostly on historic output. Um, and in most cases, companies are required to cut emissions intensity, um, how much they release relative to production, that is, by 4.9% a year. Um, but the crucial thing is that companies can choose how much they actually reduce their emissions and how much comes from buying carbon offsets and, and credits. Um, Initially, the amount of offset, offsets that they could purchase was unlimited, but the Greens negotiated something of a cap to this, which I'll also return to. Um, and Climate Change Minister Chris, Chris Bowen has really been bending over backwards to make it clear that polluting companies' profits won't suffer too much. He's promised to be very sensitive to the needs of emissions-intensive trade-exposed industry. Um, and I think it's telling that in his... Um, update on the government's progress in January, he didn't even mention the words coal, gas or fossil fuels um, the whole time. Um, and this is really why most fossil fuel companies in Australia are, have wholeheartedly embraced the scheme so far. Um, the Mineral Council's Tanya Constable said, we expect that the changes will have minimal impact on the mining industry overall. Um, Tambourin Resources, which is one of the main companies behind the Beedaloo Basin gas development, welcomed the certainty that the safeguard mechanism brought for their project and said that the Greens claim that the Beedaloo uh, project had been derailed were 100% wrong. Um, so um, even, even within this relatively loose set of um, impositions on, on companies, the, the government will make decisions on a site-by-site -site basis and some companies will still be allowed to make a smaller annual cut if they make a good case um, that they can't manage the 4.9% cut or that it will make, it, make them less internationally competitive. 
Um, some companies will also get financial help from the government. Um, so on top of that, it also doesn't count export emissions. So the cap only include, includes domestic emissions, but not those from, um, from burning exported fossil fuels overseas, which is enormous when it, when it comes to Australia. Um, 70 to 80% of the emissions from new gas projects are not considered to be a part of the, the Australian climate accounting due to their product being exported. So these are just emissions that are going to be counted in, in other countries' emissions. Um, it also doesn't count methane, uh, which is a, an extremely potent greenhouse gas that's emitted through the process of actually digging up the coal um, and is a byproduct of LNG production. Um, it's over 80 times more powerful than carbon for the first 20 years. Um, and most horrifyingly, I think, there's no legislation to stop the more than 100 new fossil fuel projects that are currently in the pipeline. Um, an Australian Institute report calculated that the emissions associated with uh, these 116 new projects on the way would total to 1.7 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide annually. Um, and that's three times the uh, Australia's current annual emissions. Um, and the safeguard is, isn't the only coalition-era pol policy that Labor has forged ahead with. They're really still committed to the central parts of Morrison's gas-fired recovery, so that includes the, um, the White Elephant useless project that is the Curry Curry gas plant. Um, one of Albo's first promises was actually to double the amount of money that um, his government would spend on building that, um, that plant, which has already been um, said that it, it's not even needed. Um, but also shows you that it is possible for, uh, for governments to front up the money to, to build things. And then, of course, there's the Santos project in the Pilliga and now um, more gas fields being opened in Queensland, which um, Tanya Plibersek unveiled earlier this year. Um, but one important change that, um, that Labor has made to the safeguard mechanism is the creation of a safeguard crediting system that basically turns the whole scheme into a form of emissions trading. Um, so that means that polluters that make extra cuts will earn a credit for every tonne of CO2 um, that is cut below their baseline. Um, and then those safeguard credits can then be sold to polluters who haven't made enough cuts um, and need to account for their extra emissions. So just to make that, make that abundantly clear, so if you haven't cut your emissions enough, you can just buy credits from other polluters to, to make up for it, thereby effectively making no, no cuts. Like, I don't have a graph, but it's essentially kind of like, there's your polluters and this one cuts some, and then you take some from there, you kind of add it there, and then this goes back up. Um, it's a very technical, <laughs> technical demonstration of, of how, it, how it works. Um, and this is really the, the stinker of the whole thing, to be honest, and the reason why this whole scheme is really incredibly dangerous it kind of lays the, the groundwork for how Australian capitalism is going to deal with climate change. Because um, the, the credit system relies on Australian carbon credit union, uh, units. Um, and this is despite the fact that um, multiple whistleblowers have come out in the last year to expose carbon trading as an absolute sham. Um, that includes one of the main architects of the, the credit scheme in the first place, Andrew, Andrew McIntosh. Um, so carbon credits can be based on anything from uh, companies planting more trees to protecting, uh, protecting land that might have been, have been forested. Um, in one study, McIntosh found that 17.5 million carbon credits were issued uh, to project 
projects meant to regrow native forests um, but found that the total forest area had barely increased at all. Um, so the government has put a pause on the use of um, new offsets generated by human-induced um, regeneration until the process is reviewed and tightened, but the existing offsets that have been created using this um, exceptionally dodgy method um, can still be traded and sold. Um, so the, the justification for this scheme is um, in line with Jim Chalmers' vision, I think, um, the idea that polluting companies will be given a price signal via the the glorious free market to reduce their emissions um, while also aligning with what we can assume to be their true, va true values as companies. Um, but the price of carbon credits is really going to be loose change for most of these fossil fuel companies. So just for an, as an example, the cost to Woodside and Anglo-American um, would be 0.05 to 0.09% and 0.025% respectively of all the profit that they made in, in the last year. I think this scheme is really a triumph of the kind of neoliberal free market ideology that Labor has been pushing for the last 40 years. You know, instead of actually forcing companies to just cut their emissions um, and building the infrastructure that we need in, um, in its place, it just sets up a whole new market for, for trading emissions instead. And this is a market that's actually in and of itself become um, extremely profitable over the last few decades. So in 2021, the global carbon credit market was valued at um, 760 US billion dollars, um, and it's expected to grow at a rate of around 21% uh, per year until 2028. Um, you've got um, uh, billionaires like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos um, investing money in carbon credit schemes as well as um, carbon carbon capture and storage, which is still essentially a kind of pipeline dream. Sorry, um, uh, pipe dream of um, of technology that really just doesn't exist yet. Um, and there's also quite a nasty kind of neo-colonial aspect to this um, to this market as well. So, the first ever carbon credits were created by an American company that bought up rainforest in Central America in the early 90s. Um, it displaced and interfered with the livelihoods of the local population and, um, and farmers and so on. People might have seen the uh, recent Four Corners episode that, um, that exposed the way that um, vast tracts of land in Papua New Guinea were being bought up by carbon credit um, traders, um, initially saying that they were going to um, uh, forest the whole lot and then turned around and said, actually, we're not, so now we'll sell it as, as credits. Um, and those are the kinds of things that Australian companies are looking at buying to, to offset their emissions. Um, uh, another thing that people might have heard is that Ampol, the, thanks, um, the petrol company, now has carbon neutral petrol, um, which sounds a lot like an oxymoron, um, because it is. Um, and its offsets have been found to include overseas projects such as improved kitchen regimes in Africa, um, meaning that homes in Africa are no longer burning wood for cooking. Um, and apart from kind of smacking of racist paternalism, um, there's really no method to actually verify these claims or the, you know, the basis of, or value of, of these so-called credits. 
And the whole basis of this uh, carbon trading also, I think, has the effect of um, further commodifying nature. It allows companies and governments to put prices on animal species and swathes of wilderness to make them tradable as credits. Um, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has called for the creation of a green Wall Street as part of a plan for a biodiversity offsets market in Australia. So that means endangered species of flora and fauna, um, instead of being protected by government regulation, will now have a price on their heads um, to be traded. Um, but you know, I think we have to be clear that this is just not the way that nature and, and the earth systems work. You can't just treat natural resources animals or carbon like inputs and outputs on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet, like it just doesn't work like that. And the idea that you can make up for emitting millions of tonnes of carbon into the atmosphere by planting more trees is, is just absurd. Emissions are released from burning fossil fuel carbon that has been sitting under the ground for millions of years in condensed form. And once you release that, there's only so much that trees can do to suck it back out of the air, particularly when, because of climate change, trees may die earlier or burn before they can suck it all out of out of the air. Um, so just back to the question of the, the Greens briefly. So Adam Bant, the, the Greens leader, was holding out for a while on whether he would support the safeguard um, and was initially saying only if there was a promise to uh, cease all new fossil fuel projects. Um, it, we had some hope that they might hold the line for a little while, but they, um, they have now um, they folded last week after negotiating some small changes and Labor needed the support of both the Greens and crossbenchers to, to get it through. So they really have, it was quite decisive in, in this case. Um, the only substantial uh, in change is the introduction of a hard cap um, on absolute emissions. Um, so this means that uh, supposedly actual emissions won't be allowed to increase above their current level. Um, but the scheme still allows new mining projects, but only if their emissions fall within, within this cap. Um, but there are big questions around how hard the cap actually is, because it's going to be judged over a five-year rolling average, mean, meaning that emissions could actually go up at any, um, go over the cap at any given in, uh, uh, particular time. Um, and if they do then rise above the cap, the minister in charge will have to consult and amend the safeguard rules or take other policy actions to avoid this. And given how flexible Chris Bowen has been so far on these questions, I don't think that we can rely on him to actually enforce this cap. Um, and a facility that's using more than 30% offsets to meet its obligations will have to explain itself um, to the clean energy regulator why it hasn't met that, um, that target. Um, but it doesn't actually stop them from using unlimited offsets. Um, and the Greens have really been hailing this as, a, as some sort of victory for the, for the climate movement, um, saying that it's going to stop half of the new um, planned fossil fuel projects. But I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's clearly not true. Um, you know, you've got the, the company behind the Bitaloo Basin project saying, no, nah, it's not true, we're still going ahead and you know, reassuring investors that don't worry, the fossil fuel projects are still happening. And then you've got, unfortunately, the Greens saying, it's great, we've got, you know, we really, we really wrung something out of them and we've got the fossil fuel companies running, um, running scared. And I think the tragedy of it is that um, awareness of the safeguard mechanism and what it meant um, 
was really only just beginning to grow, like a, a few weeks a few weeks back. Um, so we called a, a meeting at um, at Sydney Uni through the Sydney Climate Coalition with Adam Bant and Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute, who have been very good um, on criticising the um, the plan. We got 160 people there, and that was at like a week and a half's notice, basically. Um, and most of those people didn't really know the details. Like most people just don't. And I think part of the reason for that as well is that most of the mainstream media outlets, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, The, uh, the Guardian, the ABC, all just fell in behind it and, and supported it. There was hardly any criticism except for in their opinion pages, which was mostly Richard Dennis um, from the Australian Institute. Um, uh, and all the major environmental NGOs went quiet on it um, as well, saying that it was some kind of um, uh, progress. And this wasn't helped by the fact that it seems like there's a kind of revolving door between the boards of carbon credit trading industries and some of the big NGOs like um, ACF, Nature, Conservation, Conservancy and Bush Heritage Australia. Um, and I think the, you know, if the Greens had taken a stand on this and pushed back, it, it really would have made a, a world of, of difference. You know, they could have used that to draw attention to the, to the details of the scheme um, and, and continue to oppose um, new projects and, you know, push for so much more. But I think um, this would have required the, the Greens breaking from their, um, from their parliamentary strategy that they've pursued for so many years now. Um, if they wanted to avoid um, copying the onslaught that they got for um, rightfully opposing the CPRS under um, under Gillard, then they would have had to call um, you know mass meetings, call protests um, to actually drum up support for the decision that they're taking. Instead, they sort of didn't actually talk about the fundamental problems with the policy. Um, they did talk about the problem of new fossil fuel projects, but didn't actually talk about just how bad the policy itself is. Um, and therefore, didn't really raise a whole lot of um, awareness um, in in the public about it. Um, and so, I, I, you know, what we have now, I, I think, um, is a situation where the public's kind of under the impression that Labor's dealing with climate change, um, you know, the Greens supported their bill, the Teals supported it, so it must be okay, like it must be something. Um, so I think for us this means we're going to have to redouble our efforts to rebuild the climate movement and uh, have an understanding that it's going to be hard patient work, um, but there will also be flashpoints coming up, I think. You know, if nothing else, there is an awareness of that stark contradiction between this apparent commitment to climate action and all of these fossil fuel projects going ahead. Like, you don't need to be a genius to see that, you know, gas wells popping up all over the place means more climate change. Um, and I think this is also something that we can mobilise people around. And while we sort of talk to people around us about the problems with the with the safeguard mechanism, um, at the very least, the school strikers in, in Sydney are aware. They added a, a demand to their last um, school strike saying, um, real carbon cuts, not carbon trading, which was really great to see. And I think we do need to start talking a bit more about what this whole net thing means that people keep talking about, you know, getting to net zero by 2050. When you put net in front of it, it, does, it makes it not zero, actually. Like, that's sort of how trading um, works. Um, and, I, yeah, I guess on a couple of other fronts, um, I mean, we were talking in the COVID session before about the incredibly uh, high cost of living that everyone's facing. A big part of that is energy prices. 
energy prices have gone through the roof. They're likely to go up by another 20%, apparently, in the, in the next year. Um, and all the while, these companies, um, largely off the back of the, the crisis, the war in Ukraine, as well as like um, failing coal-fired power stations here, are raking in massive profits, like billions and billions of dollars. Um, and yet, you know, people are still paying, um, paying through the nose for, for energy while they're paying, you know, um, through the nose for things like fruit and vegetables and, and everything else. I think these things are going to, you know, start to bite. And while it's not a, you know, a direct connection that's e that's as easy to make, I think I do think that we can we can make a, an issue of it. Um, you know, what, and talking up the fact as well that you know we're being told that we need to have our, our wages kept down to prevent a, a wage price uh, spiral. Meanwhile, these companies are, are raking in um, massive pro products off the off the back of our our work and our and our misery. Um, and the you know that energy crisis that we had last year, I think, was an an opportunity, yet another one missed by the Albanese government to actually seriously change the energy system you know we had a i think it was maybe 10 days in which the energy market was uh, was nationalized um, because the energy companies were instead of providing the power that we needed in our in our households thanks i'll finish up soon um, were were withholding until they could get more and more money um, out of us and then after that period ended the the, the government just stepped back in and said um, well, we'll pay you back for the money that you lost. Sorry about that. Rather than nationalising the whole thing, so I think that's where our demand that we've been pushing for publicly owned, publicly run renewable energy becomes very, very important. Um, I guess the the last and um, also a very glaring issue is the utter lack of a plan for a transition on any front. I mean, there is this um, this plan for uh, rewiring Australia, where they're going to, um, you know rewire the, the electricity grid, although that's also not going to be entirely, um, entirely public. But the question of where the massive, massive projects are going to come from that will replace the power that comes through um, you know, the erraring uh, power stations and, and whatnot is, is still an open question, as well as the jobs that are going to be lost in those, um, in those industries. Like we're already seeing people um, thrown out of work in, you know, not just in those particular uh, power stations, but in the communities around them. That's going to create misery. We will need tens of thousands of jobs to actually see through the transition, and there's just nothing. There's just nothing from Labor about what that transition is going to look like. But, you know, maybe a few policy papers, but um, there's there's no plan for you know for people that are going to be affected by these by these changes. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's been a lot of talk at this uh, conference and in the media in general about there being wall-to-wall um, -wall labour um, across the, the mainland of Australia, at least. Um, and you know, you would think that there would be an opportunity while the uh, the coalition is basically eating itself alive um, with Dutton, uh, an extremely unpopular leader, at its head, incapable of doing anything really. Like they're facing no opposition from the right, they could take this opportunity to actually, you know, take some, um, make some strides, make some, make some headway, changing some things about climate and know that they're not even going to face any opposition. But I think that the Labor Party as it stands is, um, is so wedded to this, uh, you know, the, the policies of, of neoliberalism and the free market and privatisation that they can't, 
they can't see a way beyond that. And I think that that's where where we have to step in, start you know to start rebuilding um, the climate movement, doing what we can in our in our unions, at our schools, um, in our workplaces, and um, and you know, also exposing the, uh, the current policy for, for the sham that it is and saying we need something that's so much, so, so much more. Yeah.